Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a show that keeps you up to date on the markets and helps you make smart choices with your investments. These are entirely our own views. It's not investment advice, but we know plenty of experts at ASB that'll be happy to chat if you need. Interest rates have been falling for decades, and last year several key interest rates within our economy touched all-time lows. Due to the extraordinary actions from the RBNZ, some New Zealand interest rates actually became negative in 2020. The same things happened offshore. In fact, what's been happening in New Zealand last year had been happening in places like Europe and Japan for quite a while. Now New Zealand interest rates are rapidly rising. The RBNZ has stopped buying government bonds and is lifting the official cash rate. This is impacting interest rates in the economy and investments. Mortgage rates and term deposits have lifted significantly, and the implication of this is fairly straightforward. Higher mortgage rates are a headwind for borrowers and good news for savers in term deposits. What's harder to understand is what rising interest rates means for bond markets and investors with bonds within their portfolios. To cut to the chase, bond valuations have fallen as interest rates have risen in the economy and similar developments are playing out offshore. Investors are asking why they are seeing losses on their bond holdings and overall investment funds or portfolios. To discuss these developments, what it means and what the future might hold, I'm joined by a couple of experts who have many years of experience in this field. John Smith is ASB's Head of Asset Management and Mike Jones and I, we actually share the same title, Senior Economist. Both have been on earlier podcasts and join me again today. So firstly, welcome, John. How's the lockdown been treating you? Uh, yeah, um, thanks, Chris. Um, nice, to, nice to join you again on a podcast and you an unusual way of doing this. Um, how's lockdown been treating me? I'm quite fortunate. I think we've got, uh, got a bit of space here. So apart from the Groundhog Day sense of getting up and going to the same place every day, um, you know, it's been treating me quite well. How about you? You're out in you're out in the country, right? But not quite far south enough of the uh, the border to have a bit more more freedom. So you're caught with us Aucklanders being uh, being locked down. That's right, countryside within Auckland. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and Mike, how have you been faring? Hey, Cindy B. Oh, it's been a bit of a toil <laughs> for, for me. Uh, like many, uh, I've got two young kids, and uh, both me and my wife work full time. So it's been a bit like spinning plates. Um, but yeah, certainly there's a, there's a lot. A lot of people doing it tougher than I, and I, and I certainly feel for for some of those small business owners in, in Auckland. So uh, hopefully, we come out the other side before too much longer. Yeah, I, I feel like um, having no kids and uh, means means that lockdown is very boring and repetitive. Whereas for people like uh, you with kids, I think uh, spinning plates and uh, and and being a, a very very busy is probably the uh, the way to describe it. Hey, well, I'll start with Mike on the economics behind what's happening, and then I'll talk to you, John, later on about what this is all meaning for uh, for investments, and then we can all talk about the the outlook. So, so Mike, so much has changed in the last twelve months or so. Um, a year ago, we were talking about the possibility of a negative official cash rate, and now the official cash rate's actually rising. We also saw government bond yields. Um, for some tenors go negative, and now yields are significantly higher. So can you just give us a, um, a, a, a rundown on some of these changes? Sure. Well, as you've suggested, I mean, economists have talked about this recovery out of the sort of COVID recession as, as being V-shaped, um, and now we can, we can certainly plot a V 
over the moves in interest rates we're seeing, as you said, uh, interest rates in, in a lot of places uh, and in a lot of tenors went either negative or or close to negative. Some still are, uh, and central banks t- talked at length about you know why that was being looked at as an option. And a lot of people were sort of scratching their heads and, and still probably can't quite get their head around the idea. Um, you know, but now we, we seem to be out the other side, at least as far as the economic picture goes. Um, and, you know, I think if you sort of step back and, and look at the past 18 months' worth of sort of economic outcomes and, and policy, the, the lesson's really been that, that uh, stimulus works. You know, both monetary and fiscal stimulus have been heaved pretty aggressively at this crisis, um, at least in those early stages. We saw central banks basically throw the kitchen sink at it when, when economies were locked down for long periods of time. And as I say, the lesson's been that that's worked probably uh, much more aggressively than, than anyone thought, including the people enacting the stimulus. Um, and so now we're coming out the other side. What we're seeing is, I wouldn't say a scramble, but certainly a little bit of urgency from central banks to start unwinding some of the stimulus because it's causing... Um, you know, some real uh, frothy type conditions in, in some markets, you know, asset markets, housing, equities, um, inflation's an issue again for the first time in, in, in around 10 years. And so um, it actually looks like uh, central banks are having to wind some of this back a lot earlier than they would have thought, in some cases two, three, four years before the guidance that they'd given to, to markets, um, you know, quite recently. Um, so, so interest rates are, are rising aggressively, um, and you would expect that, given the inflation issues that we're, we're now starting to grapple with. It's no longer about you know, recessions and growth, it's, it's much more about uh, inflation. Um, and we're seeing that right around the world. So for us here in New Zealand, we saw the Reserve Bank um, start out and, and raise interest rates last month. Uh, and they've sort of gone from a bit of a lone wolf to, to, to looking more like a leader uh, so the rest of the world is sort of starting to, to, to follow suit. Um, and it does still like, look like the Reserve Bank's got a, a lot more work to do. Um, they, they are behind the curve in terms of uh, inflation pressures and labour market pressures, um, seeing wholesale rates factor that in. And that's impacting, uh, you know, interest rates in, in the real economy, the likes of which you and I pay, you know, mortgage rates and, and t- term deposit rates and, and business lending rates. Yeah, and, and, and to put some numbers on it, um, we've seen the five-year government bond, which was one of the key ones that uh, was a few basis points below zero. Like you say, that's a hard thing to get your head around that you lend some money to the government and pay them for the privilege. Um, now, that rate that was negative here is also negative, the equivalence offshore. But now in New Zealand, it's over 2% today. The 10-year government bonds also lived, lifted over 2%. Our five-year mortgages have lifted um, 2% uh, as well. Um, Now, within the same um, environment, if we look at what's happening to actual benchmarks that we use for portfolios, those big increases we've seen in interest rates have got um, the S&P NZX um, performance benchmark we use for government bonds is down 10% over the the 12 months. These are big drops when we when we value these um, bonds in the local market and 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 turning offshore where we're seeing similar developments in the in the real markets the bond markets but central banks haven't actually lifted their cash rates like the RBNZ but there's a lot of talk about them um, doing it like you say sooner than we thought and likewise we saw the Fed uh, 
has has started to taper back their asset manage their asset purchases. So is it all about expectations that we're seeing some of these long term rates lifting offshore? Um, and uh, is that is that the driver for the equivalent moves offshore rather than central bank action itself? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. So central banks, uh, in terms of sort of concrete policy action offshore, haven't done a whole lot. Uh, they talk a lot, um, but but they're still sitting for the most part at very accommodative rates of interest. Still buying bonds, had never fist in many cases. For example, Australia and the US are so still printing money. Um, but the, the, the indicators are, are moving, so the language is shifting um, and, and markets have, have really run away with it. Um, you know, markets don't do stability very well. They're either sort of scrambling to, to price interest rate declines or, or, or the opposite, as we're seeing now. So um, that's been really the big mover uh, in 2021 is, is what's been priced in ahead for, for central bank policy, which has kind of turned from you know, next to nothing or interest rates remaining around zero for a long time to to uh, quite a steepening in the front part of the yield curve, so to higher interest rates now. Now, central banks initially were, were kind of keen to hose down those expectations. They're very keen to keep you know, interest rates at low levels for a long time and, as I said, talk about that um, in terms of sort of quite explicit guidance to markets, but they've really backed off on that front. We've seen even this week both, both the Fed in, in the US and, and the Reserve Bank of Australia ease off some of that um, guidance they were giving the markets, which has only sort of added fuel to the fire and, and, and rates have, have increased uh, a little bit further. I guess one thing that's been interesting in, in that front has been that this, you know, how we think about the shape of the yield curve. So the longer term interest rates haven't really moved up that much um, against those big increases in the short term rates. So, so that's seen a, you know, what would term a flattening in the yield curve, which is basically investors going, uh, or pricing in the, the whole cycle, they're sort of saying, well, yep, interest rates are going to go up a whole lot in the next couple of years, um, but that actually is going to then go ahead and slow down uh, economic growth further ahead, um, and that's what's being priced in, and those longer-term interest rates remaining at, at still quite uh, low levels. Yeah, these markets never move smoothly, and expectations can change pretty rapidly. Does, does this remind you of earlier episodes in your career when we've seen this sort of um, response in markets, Mike? Yeah, it does. I mean, the one that jumps out and um, you know, is quite, uh, I guess, front of mind for, for economists and central banks is the taper tantrum, which is sort of the term we gave to, to what happened in, in 2013 in, in US interest rate markets where uh, the Fed, US Federal Reserve, talked about and then started to taper asset purchases and the markets sort of interpret that as... Um, well, tightening is coming pretty soon after and, and, and interest rates really jumped up. US 10-year bond yield went to 3% in, in a matter of months. Uh, and that in itself went ahead and, and slowed down the US economy without really the Fed ever quite getting around to, to lifting interest rates, uh, and which sort of highlights the point, I guess you've been making, CDB, that um, it's not actually what central banks do or the, or the interest rates that they set that impacts the real economy. It's it's expectations and, and the impact those expectations have on interest rates uh, and the real economy, you know, mortgage rates and such like. So that sort of taper tantrum, as I said, is very front of mind. I think it's why um, central banks have, have acted and continue to act quite cautiously in trying to limit just how far interest rates can run. But at the end of the day, you know, markets are are determined by the weight of cash. Um, and at the moment, the way that the data is printing, inflation data in particular, 
the risks are still that uh, that interest rates need to go up probably a little bit earlier than, than what central banks have been thinking so far. So that's that's been the, the dominant trend. Yeah, certainly. If I, if I, you know, my job uh, is is trying to work out what all this means for mortgages and put together a mortgage forecast and. Um, that the mortgages are doing exactly what we thought that they'd do, um, but they're effectively pricing in now um, many interest rate increases from the from the RBNZ, and and so we've seen this sort of mortgage rates move in the same sort of fits and starts as um, as we've seen in bond markets. And now, if I look at something like our five year mortgage, which is up two percent already. It's nearly there in terms of where I'd expect it to settle um, if the Reserve Bank sticks with this idea that we've talked about for a while, that rates are rising, but they're going to settle at historically low levels if we think about a, you know, an, a, an, an end point for the official cash rate of around 2%. Um, it's hard to imagine a mortgage much higher than 5% if that's the, uh, the, the case. And um, so these rates have been moving... Um, Quite quickly, as market expectations for um, for swift action from the RBNZ, and I guess offshore with other central banks is is really biting. So, so thanks for all those insights, Mike. And I'll come back to you for some thoughts on the outlook. But let's get John into the conversation um, to discuss what these rising interest rates mean for portfolios. So, John, let's first clarify um, that the drop we're seeing in bond portfolios is the so-called mark-to-market issues rather than a credit event which people might associate with um, periods where bond funds are uh, for dipping. So so just chat through what's what's going on there and how it's impacting portfolios. Yeah, sure, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, so, so you refer, let's just cover off the credit event thing first. I think that what, what I'll try to do is just explain a little bit about, about what the mechanics are behind this so people can try and understand what what's really going on. So um, a, a bond is... Like actually thinking about it earlier today, and you've just been talking about mortgages. Um, a bond is the other side, effectively, of a of a fixed rate mortgage. You know, most of our customers will understand mortgages and understand fixed rate mortgages. Sort of like what you do is you you get a pile of money from the bank, and then you agree to pay them back um, at an interest rate um, uh, over a regular period of time. And and at the end of the period of the mortgage, then you have to give the money back. Well, sort of like the bond is the other side of that, where where in actual fact. Um, you've you've given the issuer your $100 uh, and you, they've agreed to pay you regular amounts, fixed rate amounts through a period of time and, and at the end of that period, they'll give it give it back to you. So if you think about a credit event, um, the credit event is the, is where you might not get that money back at the end. Um, and and that's not what's happening here. We're not seeing, um, you know, that, that would typically happen if a, if, a, if a company started getting in a bit of trouble uh, and wasn't able to pay its debts, then that would be a credit event, and your capital would be at risk. So you you might not get back your hundred dollars. What's what's happening here? The mark to market thing is 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 really the what happens when if you if you think about them saying okay, how do you sell a bond? Well, what's attractive about a bond is the fact that um, you can buy. Um, if you're an investor, if you're you know a retired person or something like that, you 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 want income coming in so you can live off it. So you can buy a, an income stream, you know, a regular payment. You you buy like the bank, you buy a mortgage, you, you you get regular payments coming in from the person you lent to. And um, if if that regular payment is like two percent per annum, uh, 
that's interesting. But if and if interest rates are currently one percent per annum, then that's a really attractive interest rate uh, interest rate stream. But if interest rates are three percent per annum, then that two percent per annum is is not very attractive. So you can sort of imagine if interest rates are shifting between one and three percent, and you've got this two percent bond, uh, then uh, when it's when interest rates are one percent, it's very attractive. When interest rates are three percent, it's not very attractive. And so, if interest rates rise from one to three, the value of that bond or that income stream gets less, and that's effectively what's happening. And it doesn't matter really what the interest rate is on the bond; it's the shift of interest rates is the thing that is is changing investors' perception of the value of that that particular bond. So, interest rates rise, um, bond values fall effectively because the value of that income stream is becoming less. So. I suppose that's what's really, really happening, uh, and uh, and it is a mark-to-market event. The, the the actual economies are strong, companies are strong. There's there's very little actual credit default going on. There's not many companies are going broke, so it's not credit. You're not you you will get your capital back from that person you borrowed from, uh, but uh, the, in the meantime. Uh, the value of that income stream that you've you've bought from them is becoming less because there are other alternatives you can you can you can borrow it to, at higher rates because interest rates are going up. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those tricky things to understand, and um, the, the reassuring bit is that the quality of the bonds within portfolios. Um, particularly the government bonds, but also the corporate bonds, is is, is pretty solid. And in actual fact, the um, corporate bond indices are, are down by less than the government bond indices over the last 12 months, re- really reinforcing that point. And, hey, John, we've worked together for um, well over a decade, so this isn't the first time that you and I have been asked this question. Um, we seem to get every, every quarter after bonds have this sort of event um, and, and so it's worth reinforcing when there's all these headwinds around in the fixed interest space is what are the roles that bonds still play in a portfolio? Um, you know, people say, why do you even have them at all? So th- there's still a number of characteristics, which is why we want those bonds in there, right? And uh, and we'll continue to hold them. Yeah, that's right, Chris. I mean, the, the principal reason you have bonds in a portfolio um, and, and, you know, is, is diversification, right? You... you, you um, you need to remind yourself when you're in situations like this when bonds bond yields are um, creating negative returns that um, they are still inherently less risky assets than shares, for example. And uh, you, you will, at the end of the period, still get your money back off the off the bond. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that happens with interest rates going up is that it actually causes a like a negative valuation effect for equities, so with interest rates going up, bond prices falling, it's actually quite a troubling uh, issue for equities because they become less valuable because bonds are more attractive. So bonds are actually a really good hedge uh, or diversifier against an equity market fall. And when if equity markets start to fall, then you start seeing actually the flight to quality, and flight to quality typically goes into bonds. And actually, the other the other thing which interesting happens, and I think that um, Mike was referring to this just earlier, right, about what the policymakers are doing. The policymakers, when they're trying to stimulate, actually often buy bonds. So, so in troubling times, bonds are a bit of a safe haven, certainly a diversifier against the greater risk of equities. So that's the principal reason why you have bonds in portfolios. 
is that diversification benefit that you get. Yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's a bit of an irony over the last few years that um, these falling interest rates we saw up until 2020 drove a lot of capital growth out of the bond market and, um, and interest rates got lower and lower their term deposits or the or the coupons that bonds paid and and the local equity market um, filled that uh, that income gap because of the high dividend component of our or feature of our market but on a global scale and a portfolio construction scale um, you know those basic reasons of diversification capital protection are still there and and, and actually rising interest rates once they normalise, um, help because your running yield of the uh, of the bonds hopefully returns to uh, providing a more normal income stream. So, yeah, I think those are key points, but hard to remember. And, and as I mentioned, um, I think last time we uh, we got asked this a few years ago, um, the following quarter, the bonds were the best performing asset in the uh, in the in the portfolios as as markets. Um, had a little bit of a panic about whatever it was at the uh, at, at the time. Returning to the um, outlook, Mike, um, just thinking about interest rates in general, both here and abroad, um, are you still thinking rates are on the rise, but they'll settle at um, what we'd regard as historically low levels? What's it, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's that's the outlook um, that we have as a, as a core view. I mean, clearly there's a lot of uncertainty. We're still in a global pandemic, so no one's being particularly um, you know aggressive or uh, um, yeah, with their forecasts, but I think you know, relative to, to perhaps where we've been the last few years, that the interest rate outlook is is, is relatively clear, particularly for New Zealand. Um, you know, we've got an official cash rate that the Reserve Bank sets. It's still um, a bit of a rounding error, 05 percent. Uh, we know roughly that the neutral or you know average OCR that neither sort of contributes or, or subtracts. Um, from the economy and inflation pressures is about 2% for argument's sake. And um, the way the economy's panned out, where inflation is, is it's almost 5% where we are now. Unemployment's at at, the equal lowest level uh, in in decades. Uh, The Reserve Bank is behind the curve and it needs to get that OCR back to to those sort of neutral levels. So um, what we don't know is is the rough path and the timing. And and you've already mentioned that markets do go fits and starts by their very nature. Certainly at the moment, they've had a a pretty strong run on the yield front. Yields have have jumped up. Uh, But yeah, we're still in a pandemic. Auckland's still in lockdown. Uh, You can can envisage a number of scenarios where um, interest rates sort of pause for a wee while or even even, uh, retrace a little bit. But uh, I think the trend is is pretty clear and and that's upwards. and you know we're already seeing that in the, in the retail markets, as we've talked about, uh, you know mortgage mortgage markets uh, and, and business lending. Um, and and I think you know CDB, your your view is there's probably still a, a, a wee way to go in terms of those mortgage rate lifts. Yeah, the definitely for the um, the shorter terms, they're they've been anchored, but um, by the by the low official cash rate until recently. I, I feel like the five-year mortgage is, is well over halfway there, um, but the short-term mortgages have got a lot to go. But the, yeah, the million-dollar question is: um, is does the Reserve Bank um, settle at that that sort of neutral rate we talk about? Um, 
If it's 2%, it's hard for me to imagine a five-year mortgage getting a lot higher than it is now. Um, but of course, once we um, once we start to see one or two rate rises, people quite quickly think, well, maybe we'll get five or six. So um, yeah, the, where, where rates settle, I'm, my mortgage forecasts have still got rates settling in the four and a half to five and a half percent range over the next few years, which is a, a percent or two lower than um, historical averages, that's for sure. So um, I'll hopefully be proved correct over the next year or so, but there's certainly a lot of interest as, as rates start to rise. And things like the um, the 2% uh, mortgages that we had only nine months ago just seem like a, a dream right now that we've started to see these, these hikes. So it'll be an interesting year for uh, all of us in the forecasting space. And following on from this for, uh, for John, it's... Um, it's a bit unusual when we talk about volatility or, or markets moving a lot um, that the funds that are most impacted by this at the moment are the more conservative funds with that, that hold more more bonds. It's not equities that are driving the um, the dips if we're looking at at three month performance at the at the moment. It's the, it's the bonds. Does this change anything in the way that um, that that you think about managing money? Or the, or the ways people invest? Or is this one of the things that you just factor in these sorts of movements when you're doing asset allocation in the first place? No, you're right with that last comment. You know, you factor them in when you're building the, the portfolios. The portfolios have a time frame, and the, those time frames are reasonably reasonably long. Uh, so so you do factor them in, and, and, and this sort of thing is just one of those things that you expect. Um, an interesting just comment that I'd make, though, just just on that last dialogue that you guys were having, you're talking about interest rates and and mortgage rates. And is it just a, an interesting difference there with the bond market to think about? Because the bond market is quite predictive. So, so Chris, you're just talking about um, you know where you think mortgage rates may settle. Uh, you know, if 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 your view is a sort of like a central view, then it, then you you could actually say that the bond market's already factored that in. Just the fact that the central bank might raise interest rates 0.5 to 2, uh, for example, um, is already sort of expected. So you shouldn't necessarily be thinking that if the central bank raises rates from 0.5 to 2, the bond markets are going to go up another 1.5%. So that's just a really interesting point for listeners to ponder on. But just in terms of going back to portfolio construction, yes, it is It is very unusual that the more conservative funds are the ones that, that are being affected by like this. But the conservative funds are, are very similar to the more growth funds, and, and that is that they've been benefiting from higher than normal, higher than the normal long-term uh, returns for some time now. And there's always an expectation that return you have positives or negatives in your returns, and sometimes, and even the most conservative funds, you'll sometimes get negative returns, not just even lower returns. Conservative funds have less volatile returns, less ups and downs, and this is still the case. But you would expect in a conservative type fund to get more negative returns. Um, the interesting thing again about this is that you're seeing this happen, and the more conservative funds are getting poorer returns while the more aggressive funds, the growth funds, are getting still very strong returns. Um, and all I can suggest is that that sort of scenario doesn't persist. Right? If you're starting to get negative returns in the more conservative funds, then you should be, there's there's, there's more risk appearing in the more growth funds. Um, it's, it's, it is just the nature. So if you want to stay conservative, 
uh, you have a conservative time frame, you have a shorter time frame, then you should still be in a conservative fund. And and that's why our advice processes, the the the, the, the models and the, the tools that we use, uh, that we offer to our customers to consider which fund is most appropriate for them, does consider their risk profile, their risk expectations, their tolerance for risk, and their time frame, and before they puts them into the into the appropriate fund. So the you know conservative fund is still the right fund to be in if you have a relatively conservative profile, and you simply will get up ups and downs. This is one of those periods where there's a, a bit more down than up. Yeah, and I think your point about the bond market already having a lot of the future uh, years worth of central bank action priced in, as we say, is, is, a, is a good one. Hey, well, I'll, I'll wrap it up there. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been, it's been really insightful, and I know it's an issue that, that clients are wondering about. Um, I'm looking forward to um, more conversations uh, with you, and, and I'm sure investors will as well. And meanwhile, I think a key message is that the recent developments in bond markets and the associated headwinds are, are a challenge at the moment, but, but not a, cha- a reason to necessarily change a, uh, a well-thought-out investment strategy. But um, for listeners, if you feel like you need some advice, please get in touch. We've got plenty of experts at ASB that'll be happy to chat if you need. Thanks for joining me, Mike and uh, and John. Thanks for listening to the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in a future show, get in touch at podcasts at asb.co.nz.